again. To the three of you who are awake, thank you. Good morning again. Hey, there we go. All right, we are resuming our series in 2 Corinthians. Uh, this is a, uh, a series that I've loved, that I have been blessed by, been challenged by, been stretched by, and, and so I'm excited to get back into it after the, the pause we took for this last month. Uh, we will be in 2 Corinthians 11, starting in verse 1. If you want to turn there, it is page 969 in the Seat Bibles, if, if that's the one you use. Um, and before we dive in... Uh, does anybody have that friend in their life, that person in your life? Maybe it's a friend from school, from childhood. Maybe it's a sibling, a spouse. But it's almost like you finish each other's sentences. You're on the same wavelength. You know what I mean? Like, you're the one who, when the teacher said something, it was like, okay, don't make eye contact with them, because if I do, we'll both start laughing. Like, that person that it just, it seems like the more you spend together, the more you become like one another, right? Like, you, you start to pick up each other's quirks. You start to develop the same sense of humor, the same thought process, stuff like that. Anybody else have someone like that in their life? You don't, like, just reflect on that. But keep that idea in mind as we read this passage. And we'll get to why in a little bit. Um, but if you're there or not, if you just want to listen, if you would, please rise if you're able to out of respect for the word of, of the Lord uh, as we're in 2 Corinthians 11, starting in verse 1. I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me, for I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles. Even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way we have made this plain to you in all things. Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone, for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be silenced in the reasons of Achaia. And why? Because I do not love you? God knows I do. And what I am doing, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the eternal truth of it. God, as we engage with this passage that talks about some hard stuff, may we do so with your truth in perfect harmony with your grace, your conviction, your confidence in harmony with your gentleness. Teach us in this time, sanctify us, continually tear down, remold what needs to be, make us in the image of Christ, Lord. Our desire is to, to seek your face and to behold your face and to reflect it. May this be worship as we engage with your word, as we, 
as we meditate on these things, as we ponder them, as we contemplate them, as we treasure them in our hearts. May this be for you. May this be through you and your power. We give it all to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. What did we look at earlier in the series? 2 Corinthians 10.5. We take what captive? Arguments and lofty opinion. We take thoughts. We talked about spiritual warfare as a battle over truth. Spiritual warfare is a battle over, hey, what is true? And so in 2 Corinthians 10.5, it says, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Remember the context of 2 Corinthians that we've talked about throughout the series that we introduced way back before we began and then as it's continued to pop up, we've reiterated. Paul is writing to a church that has been really plagued by false teachers. And they've allowed these false teachers to have undue positions of influence in their lives and their church culture, which is affecting the way they approach one another, affecting the way they approach being the body of Christ, the way, affect the way they teach, the way they learn. And so Paul in this letter has had to do some very direct rebutting of what false teachers have started to do in this body of believers. And now Paul turns to kind of this, this, this theme of addressing these false teachers and these false teachings, but now Paul kind of switches the audience a little bit. Still with that context in mind, but who does Paul start to address specifically related to the idea of false teaching? Well, maybe human logic says, well, you'd want to talk to the false teachers. But Paul talks to the audience of these teachers. Paul talks to the people who have been listening to him, the people who have been paying attention to him. What's he say? Let's reread the first four verses. I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me, for I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Paul rebukes the people here. Paul calls out the people. He says, you put up with this. And not just put up with this with resistance. He says, you put up with this readily. Like, this is no big deal to you. That word that he uses there that we've translated into three words, be led astray, it comes from one word in the Greek, and it means to deteriorate over time. It's a word that comes from uh, two words. That the, the root is to perish, to waste away. So this is not an overnight flip the light switch. There's ideas of corruption, figuratively to cause deterioration. The idea is really what it's really getting at. This word that is used, that is translated as led astray, the word is getting to decomposition caused by the exposure to and effects of sin. So this is something that's gradual. It's not obvious. I mean, if I walked up here and I said, hey, today we're going to preach on how I'm God, I have to imagine most of you would be like, nope, that sets off alarm bells. That doesn't line up with Scripture. That's not what this is getting at. This is getting at over time, slowly chipping away, wearing away at the foundation, rotting it due to the exposure, the corrupting nature of sin. And he says, you put up with it readily. The 
Guys, we have to take personal ownership for guarding against false teaching in our lives and exposure to it in our lives. We have to take personal ownership for being on guard, for being ready. What scriptures say? Be ready. Always be ready to make a defense for the reason, for the hope that is in you. Whenever somebody asks, we have to know truth so that we can recognize a lie. It can't be, do the elders have a responsibility? Look at Acts 20, look at 1 Peter 5, go back to Ezekiel, look at the watchman. Yes, leadership has a responsibility to have the eyes on the horizon and to be watching for threats. But guess what? I'm not with you in your car as you drive to and from work. I'm not listening to the podcast you're listening to. I'm not listening to the music you're listening to. I'm not sitting with you in your living room as you watch whatever YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, whatever platform. Like, I'm not with you as you are in Barnes & Noble browsing the book section. We have to take personal responsibility to guard against false teaching pervading and influencing our lives. Consider, this is something God has talked about going all the way back to the beginning of His Word, the beginning of His people. Deuteronomy 29, 18-19. And I realize the Bible doesn't start with Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 29, 18-19. Beware, lest there be among you a man or woman or clan or tribe whose heart is turning away today from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of those nations. Beware lest there be among you a root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit, one who, when he hears the words of this sworn covenant, blesses himself in his heart, saying, I shall be safe though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. This will lead to the sweeping away of moist and dry alike. Why did I ask if you've got friends, if you've got a, a spouse, whoever, somebody in your life who the longer you spent with them, the more you start to think on the same wavelength? Because we are fools to deny or pretend that the relationships in our life don't influence us. We're deceiving ourselves if we say, well, I can be in proximity to this person and their way of life and their thought process and not be influenced by it. Now, this is not some sort of Christian stoicism. You remove yourself, right? Like that was the Essenes. That was the Pharisees in the New Testament. Okay, well, then we'll just remove ourselves from culture entirely. This is not, hey, we need to all go buy a commune and live in the woods and stop talking to anybody who's not a Christian. This is a recognition that the people we give proximity in our lives to have an influence on us, on our way of thinking, on our thought process. We've done this before time and time again. We've done it with ad, uh, ad slogans. We've done it with Klondike bars. We've done it with McDonald's, Men's Warehouse. We've done it with song lyrics. We all know that there are things we are not consciously actively thinking about right now. But if I started to say the first half of a phrase, you could finish it. Break me off a piece of that. You know it's Kit Kat bar. You were not. You probably weren't thinking about Kit Kat bars ten seconds ago. Maybe you were. I sometimes am. But what we allow to be present in our daily lives, in and out, affects our thoughts. It affects where we are. And what do we see in Deuteronomy? Hey, look, this exposure, this presence among you, will lead to sweeping away of moist and dry alike. What else does God say in Deuteronomy 7 before he actually gets to this in 29? In Deuteronomy 7, God says about the people of the land, you shall make no covenant with them and show no mercy to them. You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons, for they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. Isaiah 30, 9 and 10, God is speaking about his people, his own people. 
For they are a rebellious people, lying children, children unwilling to hear the instruction of the Lord, who say to the seers, do not see, and to the prophets, do not prophesy to us what is right. Speak to us smooth things, prophesy illusions. God calls His people out for wanting the teachers, wanting the people of influence in their lives to say, hey, tell me what's easy. Tell me what I like. Tell me what makes me feel good. God's like, no, that's a problem. 2 Timothy 4, 3-4, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. See, it's tempting for us in our ego and our hubris to look at these passages and say that's God talking about the secular world, but we have to realize these are letters written to the church in the New Testament. These are prophecies to God's people in the Old Testament. God is talking to His people saying, stop putting up with false teachers. Stop tolerating this. Stop accepting this. Consider the people after they've left Egypt right before the Ten Commandments, what happens? The golden calf. Who makes the golden calf for the people to worship? Aaron, the leadership. Where did the golden calf begin? Where did it start? Go to Exodus 32. The people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. Who did God call out to Moses on the mountain? Exodus 32, 7-8, And the Lord said to Moses, Go down for your people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. If we do not take personal responsibility for guarding against this, for allowing our hearts to not be corrupted, to not be deteriorated, for not allowing our thoughts to, to dissolve, to decay, we're missing the point. If you're just waiting for someone else to do it for you, no, grow up, take responsibility. Guard against this. God calls His people out time and time again. You cannot readily put up with this. And then He goes on and continuing to talk about it. Okay, well, is it enough to know that it's there and just, you know, hear no evil, see no evil, speak no evil? What does Paul say? Let's go back to 1 Corinthians 11, starting in verse 5. He says, Indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles. He's, he's calling out what they have said about themselves. That they are apostles. Paul's inferior. And Paul says, no, I don't consider that I'm inferior to these super apostles. Even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way we have made this plain to you in all things. Did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you and in need, I did not burden anyone, for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be silenced in the regions of Achaia. And why? Because I do not love you? God knows I do. And what I am doing, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as we do. Does it sound like Paul was 
respectful of these false teachers? Paul says, no, I am led to undermine their work. Guys, we can't be afraid to confront false teaching. Well, I just want to be nice. No, Paul says, I'm led to undermine their work. Why? Because what's it doing? It's leading people away from the true gospel of Christ. We have to be bold in our commitment to the truth. And look, we'll, we'll, we'll keep talking about this, but more often than not, at least in my own life, this has tended to be an internal boldness. This has tended to, because very rarely are we going to get the chance to actually face-to-face -face talk to someone who's promoting and spreading a gospel that's not true. I can think of a lot of very famous I'm not going to call them pastors because they're not shepherding in a godly way. I can think of very famous people who are not teaching the gospel. I've never been in the room with any of them. I don't have them on my phone. I can't send a text and be like, hey man, stop promising people a jet. That's not in the Bible. If I sent that text, I'd probably get blocked anyway. But what we can do is say, okay, what, what am I listening to? Who am I reading? Who am I watching? Who am I giving to? Who am I supporting? Am I willing to confront myself over this? Am I willing to say, no, I'm not going to do one more thing that continues to further their platform? We've got to be bold about this. Not just because, well, it's comfortable, it's easy. No, like, am I committed to the truth above all else, above all ease, above all habit, above all routine? What does Scripture say? Galatians 2.11 but when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Why? Why did Paul oppose Cephas, Peter, to his face? Because he was doing stuff, he was teaching things that weren't going to point people to Christ. That was undermining the gospel of Christ. So he opposes him to his face. Titus chapter 1, starting in verse 9. This is talking about qualifications for elders. So qualifications for elders, what does it say in verse 9? He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine, and it doesn't stop there, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silent since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. What do we look at last week talking about everlasting God? We looked in Revelation where, where Jesus says to his one church, like, hey, you're sticking to the truth, but you've lost your love for me. And we said we can't ever lose that love for Christ, that heart of Christ, those eyes of Christ for the world. So what do we see here? Rebuke them sharply. Why? So that they may be sound in faith. This is never about, so even when we're confronting false teaching, even when we're being bold in this, even when we're undermining this, this is never to build ourselves up. This is never to pat ourselves on the back. This is never to be holier than thou. This is to say, hey, no, our desire is that faith would be sound. Our desire is that the church would be sound. The church would be pure. What did Paul say at the start of this passage in 2 Corinthians? His desire is to present the church as a pure bride to Christ. 
That's the desire. That's the heart. But in that heart, there's boldness. There's a willingness to say, that's wrong. Stop it. I'm not going to listen to it. I'm not going to support it. I'm not going to lend my voice to it. I'm not going to lend my money to it. Jude chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality. Pay attention to that word. We're going to revisit it in a little bit into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Paul, a conduit for the Holy Spirit, Scripture is breathed out by God. None of them wrote this as they desire, but as led by the Holy Spirit. So Paul's pen, as led by the Holy Spirit, says, hey to the people, stop readily putting up with false teachers. Stop accepting them in your midst. Stop condoning this. Stop thinking this is okay. Do something about this. I'm led by God to undermine their ministry. Confront it. Call the problem out. Cut it off. Deuteronomy, Exodus, Isaiah, Timothy. God says this time and time again to His people. We need to be unwavering in our commitment to the truth. And when it's attempted to be distorted, we can't say, well, okay, you know, but I really like him. Well, we've known each other for 20 years. Well, we're good friends. No. You call it out so that they may be sound in faith, so that the church may be presented to Christ pure. And I think, if I can speak, as if the rest of this has been super cheery, but if I can speak rather plainly, I think a lot of the problems with this topic in the church comes is the church has always struggled with being naive. The church has always struggled with that balance of, you know, loving people and trusting, what's it say, qualifications for elders. They are to be trustworthy, Right? We've struggled with that and then with also the call in Scripture to be discerning, to be wise. Okay, how do I be gentle and bold? Right? Like, how do I be loving and unafraid to confront false teaching? And I think we've always wrestled with them. The reason why I say always is because as we see in this, there's a problem in God's people from the start. Going back throughout Scripture. But what do we see in verses 13 to 15? He says, For such men are false apostles deceitful workmen disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of life. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. But it was in the Christian section. But it was labeled contemporary Christian music. Spotify had this categorized as praise. They're on the 700 Club. But that's not like this carte blanche. Okay, great. Disguise, deceit. How many passages have we read that have talked about these ideas? 
This is going to be designed to be as palatable as possible. This is going to be designed to be as alluring and tricky as possible. I mean, again, if I got up here and I was like, hey, I would love to share with you all theology that is going to completely turn you away from Christ and cause you to start worshiping yourself. You think the search committee four years ago would have been like, cool. Hopefully not. I know them. I trust them. They're solid people. No, the hook is baited. The hook is designed to reel you in. The hook is designed to get you to take a bite of it. There's disguise. There's deception. What does that word come from in verse 3? If you go back to verse 3, when Paul says, he says, I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, that word means skill, shrewdness. He's good at this. This is what our enemy does. This is what his followers do. This is what his plan looks like. Skill and cunning. He's not a bumbling idiot. He didn't go to Adam and Eve and say, hey, I've got something that's going to ruin it all. You want part of it? No. So is it any wonder that that's how he continues to work? Getting us to turn a blind eye. Getting us to say, well but they told me we were on the same team. That's why it's got to come back to truth. Acts 20, verses 29 and 30. Paul's writing, and he says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves, from among your own selves will arise men who teach twisted things. Arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Galatians 2, 4 and 5. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. 2 Peter 2, 1-3, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Jude 1, verse 12. These are hidden reefs, talking about false teachers. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts as they feast with you without fear. I said a few moments ago, remember that word sensuality. We saw it again popping up here for the second time. What is sensuality? an over-exaggeration, an over-emphasis of emotion. So when we're talking about false teaching, when we're talking about false teachers who we've allowed to have this place of influence, look for teachers with an over-emphasis on emotion. Emotion over truth. Well, how does that make you feel? Forget about what you know. How does that make you feel? Well, I, okay, I know it's not the best source, but every time I listen to them, I just, I feel really I feel really good. I feel really happy. No, that's sensuality. This worshiping of emotions. Emotions are, are real. We all have emotions. We're not robots. 
God has emotions. Jesus had emotion. Emotions do not define truth. Emotions are not the barometer with which truth is gauged. False teachers use emotional manipulation and appeal to sneak in among the love feasts, to be hidden reefs that crash the boat, that blaspheme truth, and shame on the church when we readily put up with it. I mean, Paul lays it out starkly in this section. All the scripture, I said this a moment ago, I will say this every day until I die. All of Scripture is God-breathed. So Jesus has been writing this the whole time. This has been Jesus' voice in Scripture the whole time. This has been God the Father's voice, the Holy Spirit's voice the whole time. But there's also a place in Scripture where Jesus very specifically says to one of the scribes, one of the human scribes that he used to record his word, he says, hey, pay attention and write this down. Listen to Revelation. Listen to Revelation 1 and 2 as we consider the gravity that Jesus takes this issue with in his bride. We're going to start in Revelation 1 just to demonstrate, to establish that this is Jesus speaking. This is not an angel. This is Jesus speaking to John. Revelation 1, starting in verse 9. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Okay, so John, human, I was at Patmos. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Theatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs on his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. Pretty cool reference to Hebrews. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen. This is Jesus speaking. Jesus says to, Paul, or to John, Jesus appears to John, and he says, write this down and send it to my churches. What does Jesus go on to say to his churches, multiple churches? Revelation 2, starting in verse 2. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. So first Jesus commends the church for, hey, you have tested the people who claim to be apostles. You have tested the people who appear to you saying, no, 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 take us seriously, trust us. You've tested them against what? Against scripture, against truth, and you've found them to be false. He goes on, he says, I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary, yet this you have, in verse 6. So again, another commendation for this church. He said, this you have, you hate the work of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. You hate and do not tolerate that false teaching. The Nicolaitans are going to appear in a little bit again. 
Revelation 2, 14 to 16, a new church. And he says, Jesus says, I have a few things against you. You have some there, not all, not every one of you. This is not 100%. Jesus says, you have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. The people who Jesus just said, hey, good for you. You hate the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Now he says to this church, yeah, you tolerate holding their teaching. You accept it. Therefore, repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. Did Jesus say you are teaching what the Nicolaitans are teaching? Did Jesus say you are teaching what Balaam taught? He says, no, you have some there who accept it repent because otherwise I'm coming to destroy them what else do we see in chapter 2 another church Jesus says but I have this against you that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. Start to finish, God has rebuked his people who tolerate false teachers, who tolerate association with false teachers, who accept false teachers, who put up with it. God said, this is unacceptable. So we have to ask ourselves before we start to say, yeah, man, I really hope, I wish other people could hear. Like, No, we have to look at our own lives and say, okay, am I on guard against this? Am I disciplined in who I give proximity to in my life? Am I disciplined in who I allow to speak to me? Who I allow myself to listen to, to support, to endorse me? Do I allow this to have any place of influence in my life? And if God convicts us that we do, then okay, you know what? Yeah, you liked their music for 20 years, but no more. Yeah, they said great stuff 15 years ago. You've got four of their books on their bookshelf, but no more. Like, we have to be willing to confront it and to cut it off. Never in anger, never in bitterness, never, like, we never lose sight of the heart of Christ. Go back to what it said in one of the passages. We, we do this that they may have sound faith. So we never lose the heart of Jesus, but we also never compromise his truth. So ask yourself, do you seek out the teachers, the leaders, the associations, the friendships? Do you seek out the people in your life who tell you what you want to hear? Who tell you what you like to hear? Who tell you the things that make you feel bubbly and good about yourself? Or are you deliberate in having people in your life who tell you the things you need to hear? The things that brush up against that nastiness, that fallen self, that brokenness, that sin, that ego, that arrogance, that bitterness, that jealousy, that greed. Do you have people in your life who confront it, who call it out? Or is it more about, okay, I just want people who are going to say, oh man, everything you're doing, you have never been wrong in can't put up with it. We just can't. This isn't negotiation. 
okay, God, tell you what, I'll give up these four, you let me keep these two. Like, no, cut it off. Be done with it. As we consider these things this week, as we consider this passage, I'd encourage you to reread the passage and read Galatians 1, considering this relationship you have with truth, with people of influence in your life. Read Galatians 1, and let's just pray as led by Galatians 1. How does it praise God, confess to God, give thanks to God, make requests of God, but let, let Galatians 1 fuel our prayer time. We've spent three months now working on Acts 4.13, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, realized they were common, uneducated men, they were astonished, realized they'd been with Jesus, gave glory to God. We've spent about three months on Acts 4.13. Now let's start internalizing knowing John 17.17. 17. Very, very simple. If Acts 4.13 was too long for you, great news. John 17.17 17 is like six words. Don't hold me on that because I'm not great at math. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Very simple. Easily fits on a note card. Easily fits on your phone background. So let's work as, as we continue to read, as we continue to pray, as we continue to meditate on God's word. Let's start focusing on John 17, 17. And then the personal reflection, the family conversation, you and your spouse, you and your neighbor. That'd be a crazy conversation to have with a neighbor. Do it. You and your coworkers, you and your friends, whoever, reflect what role does truth have in your life compared to emotions? Are we sanctified in truth? Because apart from truth, there is no sanctification. Jesus called his church out on it from long ago. When he returns, may he find a church is undefiled because it has not readily put up with false teachings. Let's pray. Lord, we know this is heavy stuff. It is a lot more emotionally enjoyable to spend time talking about your name and your name of mercy and your name of kindness. That's a lot easier to digest. You have not called us to easy. You have called us to holy. And so, Lord, part of holiness needs to be our willingness to come before you and say, search me and know me. If there is any wrong thing in me, get rid of it. Lead me in the right way. And so, Lord, we come before you today and we say, thank you for your word. Thank you for the holiness of your standards. Thank you for the holiness of your character. Sanctify us, Lord. If there is anything that needs pruning away, lop it off and throw it in the fire. We submit to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey everyone, Pastor Sam here. Thanks for joining us for a Sunday sermon. If you're interested in more of the sermons from this series or some of our past sermon series that we've done, you can find them at discovercommunity.org under the sermon file. Uh, otherwise, you can subscribe to this channel to make sure you stay up to date on all our content. Thanks for joining us.